value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the U.S. Lens. I'm Ron Insana, Senior Advisor to Schroeder's North America. And if you haven't noticed lately, the world has gotten a little wild, whether it has to do with events on Wall Street and markets overseas, whether it comes to climate concerns or a wide variety of political and geopolitical issues. Markets have been quite volatile of late, whether they're equities, bonds, or commodities. And joining us now to put this into a global perspective is Johanna Kirkland. She is Group Chief Investment Officer for Schroeder's, joining us from London. Johanna, great to talk to you again. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Ron. How are you? Fine, thank you. Let's, let's, I, I know we're both sweltering in the heat of late, which we'll get to in a second, um, because it does really affect the outlook in many ways for, for ESG and, and a host of other concerns that we have. But just from a 50,000-foot level at this juncture, given the volatility we've seen, given the concerns about central bank policy, um, in, in, in many ways being bifurcated around the world, uh, and then all the other attendant uh, issues, whether it's inflation, energy costs, uh, geopolitical risk coming out of Ukraine and Russia and so on and so forth. A as you look at the world from your perch, what do you see going on just as a, as a big picture perspective? Well, I think, I mean, the good news is that we have seen some adjustment in valuations year to date. So that is encouraging relative to the beginning of the year, because obviously we've seen prices fall across both equities and bonds. And then as we look to the rest of the year, I mean, I think the core issue remains that the Federal Reserve is very much focused on raising rates to quell inflation. And as long as that is happening, we like to see ongoing pressure on valuations. So I think there's a little bit more to go for here. Um, I think we need to be careful about the risk of persistent inflation, but that, that is the core challenge we need to work through in the next few months. But then some more extreme tail risks. Obviously, there's a situation in Russia which continues the threat of energy supplies to Europe being cut. Um, and then at the same time in Europe, also some challenges in Italy on the political front, the potential rolling lockdowns in China. So there's some sort of more extreme risks out there. But I think the core issue is just that the discount rate is still rising. Yeah, let me ask you about that, because the, the Fed obviously has suggested the United States and, and to a lesser extent, the European Central Bank is, is committed to this. And we've seen Bank of Canada go a full percentage point with its most recent rate hike. Everyone says they are committed to raising rates until inflation becomes anchored back at an acceptable rate. We've seen commodity prices roll over. We've seen growth soften in the United States and elsewhere. Is it possible that without knowing it, the Fed and other central banks may have, from an inflation perspective, may have already achieved their objective and that the only piece of the puzzle left is for supplies to expand as opposed for demand to be destroyed further? Well, for me, the key issue is what happens to the labor market. So particularly in the States, you know, the labor market is incredibly tight still. And what we still don't understand, you know, one thing we need to be careful of is economics is not a science. Um, it's not like physics. It's a framework. And typically what we do as economists is we look at empirical relationships and draw conclusions from that. And certainly the lessons of the last 20, 25 years is that once energy prices fall, typically inflation pressures come under control. 
But the key question this time is the behaviour of workers in terms of um, demanding wage increases in response to the cost of living crisis. And I think if we start to see evidence that the sort of price wage spiral is, is getting underway, that obviously would be a significant concern. So I think the key thing to watch is signs of, of softness in the labour market and, and signs that wage pressure is abating. That's really what's necessary to get the Fed, the Fed's foot off the pedal, as it were, when it comes to rates. Can, can, uh, this is not a philosophical question, but I've, I've been grappling with this for, for, for many months now. The U.S. population grew at its slowest rate in history in 2021. There are almost two open jobs for every unemployed worker in the United States. The Federal Reserve can't print people. Uh, and, and, and they can certainly weaken the labor market to reduce wage pressures, but it doesn't solve the fundamental issue, not only in the United States, but in some other countries as well, is we don't have enough humans. So if, if we don't have enough humans, how then does weakening the labor market solve the fundamental problems that we've seen in many countries that we're simply short people? Well, essentially, what they're trying to do is, is slow demand enough that it takes pressure off the labour market, um, which is a challenge, right? Because we're not used to having these nasty trade-offs where to get inflation under control, you have to do some damage to the economy. But to some extent, that's what they have to do is, is in some sense, bring demand down. That's what they're trying to do, which in turn should reduce pressure on the way, on, on wages. But, you know, I think the risk is that the sort of disinflationary maps that had worked have worked over the last 20 years might not be as effective anymore. I mean, if you think about it, in recent years, we were all puzzling over the Phillips curve. You know, there was a, a long-term, long-held belief there was a correlation between the unemployment rate and the level of inflation. And yet we saw the unemployment rate fall to extremely low levels in recent years and inflation not picking up. Could it be that the Phillips curve reasserts itself? So, you know, I think, as I said, the, the main risk here is that we do not know yet, given how tight the labour market, how quickly wages will respond and whether in some sense the rise in prices that we've seen will now lead to higher wages, which then creates a bit of a spiral. I think that's the key risk. So, Johanna, given some of the rallies we've seen in risk assets over the last couple of days, big rally in the US uh, on, on Tuesday, and then also credit spreads narrowing and a host of other, if you will, risk on indicators uh, turning back on, whether it's cryptocurrencies or, or other speculative as assets, is it possible that investors are beginning to take on the attitude that we're getting closer to the end of the tightening cycle than sitting in the middle of it and hence are willing to look past some of the kind of gloom and doom commentary that we've heard over the last several months? Well, I think, as I said at the beginning of the call, um, you know, valuations have adjusted a long way. And equally, sentiment is also adjusted. So it's hard to find anyone who's positive on the market. And the reality is things never move in a, in a straight line. So I think there's the potential for a bit of a relief rally in equities, particularly if bond markets are stable, and especially if the headline rate of inflation is peaking. As we head into the autumn, though, the key question is, when will the Fed pause? And ultimately, as I said earlier, that the key risk there is we need to keep an eye on the labour market and make sure that um, sort of wage pressures are abating. It all comes down to the direction of inflation and the extent to which the central bank's hands become less tied by the need to quell inflation. I think that's really the key, the, the, the sort of key driver of returns over the medium term. So and until then, you're suggesting then that, that anything in risk is a bear market rally as opposed to a new bull market? Yes, I think it's right to, to stay cautious. Though.
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Investor Download. All right. So with with that said, um, tell me then where value can be found in a market that really has been hammered. I mean, in, even mega cap stocks that have wonderful growth potentials, whether they're in the United States or elsewhere, have been halved in some cases. Uh, some even worse than that. Uh, earnings have been a little bit dodgy, if you will, to borrow a British expression uh, so far this this quarter. Um, is is there value yet to be found, or do we literally have to wait for the Fed to stop the tightening process? No, I think that, I mean, if you look at previous bear markets, I mean, I tend to look at 2000 to 2003 uh, as a good example of that. And back then we had the initial downdraft, which was all about valuation, 2000 to 2001. And then if you remember back then, we had a counter trend rally through to, through the end of 2001 and 2002 before then finally hitting the bottom. So, you know, you, you get and, and in that context, I think we're getting to the stage now where the initial adjustment that was caused just by rates going up has kind of happened. And now really it's about corporate earnings and which parts of the market will see more resilient earnings as the Fed slows the economy. So there's more room for differentiation at stock level than there was before. Um, I think there's also some diversification benefit to owning bonds, which we didn't have early in the year. So there are opportunities emerging at stock level, um, maybe looking at higher quality companies that can withstand a slowdown in growth. Um, And as I said, I think there are opportunities for diversification in bonds. Now, let me ask you about the strength of the dollar, because that seems to be an, another variable that, that's confounding some. One, that it's remained as strong as it has the last couple of days, notwithstanding. Two, it's cutting into corporate profits, which we've heard from a variety of technology companies suggesting that their earnings were vastly affected in the second quarter by the strength of the currency. It, are there any other risks associated with a strong dollar? We're seeing frontier market currencies come down. The euro almost at parity with the dollar at one point it was. The yen continues to fall. Is it the type of acceleration to the upside that could cause central banks to rethink their policy because an extremely strong dollar could cause something to break somewhere in the world, a la 1997? The challenge, I think, is that the dollar is strong because the Fed is so determined to quell inflation. So for me, it comes back to rates. And I think the Fed has to focus on its domestic economy right now. So obviously, the fact the dollar strengthening tightens financial conditions for the U.S. economy, it helps the Fed, does some of the work for the Fed. But I think ultimately, the dollar in itself is not a reason for the Fed to back off just yet, because unfortunately, it does also reflect the divergence in interest rate differentials, particularly with places like Japan. So there's been some concern in the United States that that financial markets have begun to discount recession rather than inflation concerns. How much weight do you put on that kind of intellectual pivot, if you will, as opposed to a Fed pivot, which may still be many months off? So it's interesting. I mean, if you look at the shape of the yield curve in the United States, that is starting to point to recession risk, which I think is encouraging. Again, I like to see these risks being priced. This was not the case a few weeks ago. So that is actually the fact that the market's trying to reflect these recessionary concerns and its valuations is encouraging. It means that we're sort of finding a bottom in some sense. I think maybe where the market is still underestimating risk, again, if we look at um, the US bond markets for clues, is that in the level of the real yield, the real yield is flirting around 0.5, 0.6, 0.7%. In 2018, it went as high as 1%. 
I think there's still a risk that as the Fed raises rates, we'll still see that real yield going up, which poses a risk to valuation. So I think recession risks are becoming priced. I think the market still is maybe a little bit too relaxed about the potential for the Fed to keep raising rates. Now, is that true with other central banks as well? I mean, it looks like the European Central Bank has <laughs> several problems with which to deal simultaneously, not the, not the least of which is surging inflation. Then on top of that, there are peripheral countries that are heavily indebted that might not be able to withstand, as we've seen in prior periods as well, rising rates. And then, as you mentioned, there's political turmoil in some countries, too, on the continent that, that complicates this whole picture. So does that mean the Fed remains the lead dog, if you will, in raising rates that everyone else has to be somewhat more cautious about how they implement implement policy? Yes, and it comes back to the point about the dollar. The reason the dollar is strong is because the Fed is leading the way on rate rises. And actually, as you say, in Europe, the situation is so complicated, um, having to bring inflation under control, but there's potentially an energy crisis and also political issues in Italy. So the ECB will have to tread more carefully. Having said that, they've still surprised the market. The market, once again, I think was just too relaxed about central banks raising rates. And even the ECB is raising rates now. Bank of England, again, similar position to the ECB. You know, here there is a major cost of living crisis. So, yes, I think that other central banks will have to tread more carefully than the Fed. But they ultimately will be raising rates too. Now, speaking of problems in Europe that we also have in the United States, it's really hot. Um, record temperatures in the UK. What does this mean for an ESG portfolio? For an ESG portfolio, I mean, I think it highlights, um, you know, that the climate change is happening. I mean, and, uh, you know, it, it does raise, um, we've done long-term return analysis on, you know, in our 30-year return assumptions, we now incorporate the impacts of climate change. And arguably, we're now debating whether we need to start incorporating those assumptions into our 10-year return forecasts. When we did that work, what we found was that, um, obviously, uh, rising temperatures actually are okay for some economies. Actually, the UK benefits, given it starts from a position of not having particularly um, high temperature, but there are other parts of the world that are going to suffer uh, from, from this direction of travel. So when we do our longer-term assumptions, it's not about predicting returns over the next six months. But certainly, I do think that climate change is something people need to factor into their long-term return assumptions. All right. So to put a ribbon on everything we've talked about from a, a portfolio perspective, and again, without necessarily giving away positions or specific recommendations, how do you feel investors should be positioned, at least for the remainder of this year, given all the uncertainties we've discussed? I think that it's right to still be cautious. Uh, because ultimately the Fed is still in play. I think there's room to extend that people want to reallocate money to the market is to go down the path of diversification, ensuring that you're balancing your exposures, not just with equities, but also with bonds, because recession risks are increasing. So, yeah, ultimately, I still think patience is virtue. <laughs> On that note, we will leave it. Johanna, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Johanna Kirkland is Group Chief Investment Officer at Schroeder's, joining us from London, which is beginning to cool. Thankfully, not so here in the United States. I'm Ron Insana. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroeders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroeder's podcast at schroeders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers.